Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to week five of the Lap Down podcast. I am your host, Greg Farmer, and off to my right is Mr. JP, and then below myself is Mr. Ben. Next to Mr. Ben is Mr. Ryan, and then right below Ryan is Mr. Jamie. Uh, As always, our intro music is presented to you by the Alkali Project. Please check out their album, The Blood World, on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your music. Gentlemen, there is something on the horizon. I don't know if you can see it, but I can. Race season is officially upon us. The bush light clash at the Coliseum is this coming Sunday. And what a great way to kick off Speed Weeks. None other than the Rolex 24 at Daytona that took place this past Saturday and Sunday afternoons. JP, did you watch any of that race? No, but um, I saw some highlights, and I, I, I just like to say, uh, Pinsky looked pretty good. Um, you know, Ryan Dyer and I talked a lot about it, and you know, I watched it in the past. Wish I could be at that race because it would be a big race to be at. It almost be like going to the Daytona 500 for NASCAR. But this year I was unlucky enough to watch any laps. Ben, did you happen to catch any of it? No, I was working, unfortunately. How about you, Mr. Ryan? Yep, I was able to catch about most of the first third of the race, and then I had to get to bed because I had work the next morning, and then I basically just listened to the rest of the race on the radio while I was at work. Don't tell my boss. Uh, Jamie, did you uh, happen to catch any of it? Yeah, um, I I caught about a good like three four hours of it uh, while I was, while I was at work. Uh, I had the beauty of had the luxury of having uh, I, I I sell Directv and Directv streams to a product of that is having it on at the store. So all day work day we had the Rolex twenty four going on the TV. Um, I I enjoyed it. Uh, during the times that I was able actually able to pay attention to it, not working with customers, uh, I will say early on it looked like Cadillac Racing was uh, was on was going to be up for a spoiler because uh, Alex Pillow was uh, was driving the heck out of that that zero uh, one car, and then Scott Dis- Scott Dixon uh, followed up on it and. They they were leaving uh, the Rolex Twenty Four for about three three to four hours, um, but when it came towards the end of uh, end of the end of it, there was about a half hour of racing left, and it came down to a single pit stop where uh, um, let me see what I'm trying to get the name right. Uh, I forget. I don't. I don't know how to pronounce the person, but last name is uh, Durrani. Oh, Pippo he was uh, driving. Yeah. Yep. Pippo. He was uh, driving the 31 car, and him, 
Him and uh, is it Nasser? Yeah, Felipe. How you Nasser. pronounce it? Felipe Nasser. Yes. Uh, they were like neck and neck, and uh, when they made their final pit stop with about a half hour to go, uh, Felipe Nasser uh pitted a lap before uh Durrani did. And that is what ultimately led to uh to like I think it was like a two second gap uh that catapulted Penske to uh their first win at, what was it, like fifty six years or some some number like that? Yeah, it's been a long time. Before. But that was super cool. Um Roger Penske is just on a tear when it comes to to as of late to when it comes to winning and, and especially in on big events. Uh got Joseph Newgarden winning the Indy five hundred last year. You got uh Ryan Blaney winning the NASCAR championship and now you got his uh, motorsport team. Uh that coincidentally included Joseph Newgarden into winning the official race that kicks off this um, this full season of just automobile racing, and it's it's looking like uh, it's going to be another Penske type of year. And saying don't is that forget, a bold prediction? And don't forget the uh, Daytona 500 win for Penske isn't too far back there with uh, Austin Sindrick only a year and a half ago. Two years ago now, I think now. Yeah, you're not wrong. Not wrong at all. So I have a, a couple things to talk about. Um, so obviously, um, I didn't get a chance to really watch much of it. Um, I saw some highlights on social media. But um, I can't remember for the life of me the names of the two drivers. But that pass for the lead coming through turn four and the trioval of the super speedway portion of the course and going into turn one, uh, where they were using lap cars as picks and stuff, I got to say, that pass for the lead was absolutely incredible. And then um, we're going to uh, start a topic of conversation real quick, starting with JP. How do we feel about the actual finish of the race? Because technically it is the Daytona 23-hour and 59-minute race due to uh, some sort of technicality. Uh, where they displayed two to go and then one to go and then the checkered flag all within 10 seconds. JP. Well, I mean, if it's going to be a 24-hour race, do the map correctly and show the flag at the correct time. That's what I got to say on it. Ben, how do you feel about that? Yeah, mixed feelings about that one. I'm sure you probably got something pulled up regarding that. I, I, I think IMSA released an official statement about it. Uh, do you have any insight on it? What's the website that I should go on? NASCARs? No, uh... Internet. Ryan, I believe, yeah, Ryan, I believe Emza posted something on their social media talking about the uh, the finish of the race. Uh, let me see if I can find that real quick. 
Oh, I have it. Said, website. The official results showed the time of the race as 23 hours, 58 minutes, and 24.72 seconds. And, and In a Monday statement, IMSA said, due to an officiating error in race control, IMSA inadvertently announced and subsequently displayed the white flag under three minutes remaining in the race. Uh, at the end of at the end of the lap, the race leading number seven GTP car then received the checkered flag within with one minute and thirty five seconds still remaining, ending the race short of the planned twenty four hours by effectively one lap. Now, would that have affected anything? Now, I mean, the margin of victory, I believe, they were... was like two three seconds. So it was, I mean. Mm -hmm. Anything could have happened, but I would say odds were it wasn't going to. The uh, Penske car was basically just managing the gap back at that point. No, I, I agree. Uh, Jamie, how do you feel? I mean, I don't really. I mean, I know it's like they, they make a big thing about it being the 24-hour race, and I get that, but... At the end of the day, this thing was pretty pretty much in the bag. No extra minute or extra lap or so was going to make up make up a two second difference. Now, could there have been the the realm of possibility of something catastrophic happening with like a lap car? It's just there, but the likelihood of anything actually changing the outcome of the race, I don't see happening. So I'm good with it. Okay. All right, well, that brings me to a uh, question for you guys, starting with JP. Now, we've seen the likes of Dale Earnhardt Sr., Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jeff Gordon, uh, Tony Stewart, and them uh, run the 24-hour race at Daytona. Which current NASCAR driver would you like to see run the 24 hours of Daytona? Easily, Kyle Larson. And that might come to a shock to you, but that kid can wheel anything. I want to see what he can do in the kind of power race. Now, I don't know if he's ever part of it, like he's part of doing the Indy 500. Yeah, but, he will be in the Indy 500 this May. Yeah, like he's... He, He's doing the Angry 500, but he's sick. Do the coming four hours after your two races at Angry. That's like, you want to talk about winning. That's like winning the Daytona 500. Any win at Daytona, they say, is special. Arguably, though, okay. I would say an Indy 500 win... If he's able to get that, it would be bigger than any win at Daytona. Yeah, ben, you got me there, Wayne. Ben, who would you like to see run that race? The Daytona? Uh, uh, Ty Gibbs, honestly. I think he needs some sort of momentum in order for him to begin the season and what better way to win Dayton. 
I don't think it'll happen though. Yeah, like Joe Gibbs has been pretty vocal about how he feels about his drivers going and racing other stuff, especially right before the NASCAR season begins. Yeah, I like Ty. I like Ty Gibbs. I like to see him do good, but who knows how anything will go. Yep. Would you like to see? Um, I mean, I would honestly like to see potentially. Um, the Gib and I say going back to that Gibbs thing where, you know, I would like to see maybe even a collection of Toyota's kind of best young stars potentially go and put together a whole NASCAR entry, potentially partner up with Lexus in the GTD Pro category, as they already race in that category and they're the reigning champions of that category too with the number fourteen Lexus potentially get a chance to put um, Ty Gibbs, maybe even get Bub Wallace some extra seat time, maybe throw in a sports car ringer to help uh, coach them up through the uh, Rolex 24. But I think that would be a great way to get those young guys, maybe even John Hunter Nemechek as the fourth driver, try and work in a lot of your younger NASCAR talent into longer races, into long races and into the um, road courses, which has been a struggle of the Toyotas the past two years. Now, speaking of NASCAR names, right. there's one other name I wanted to mention from this year's race. Uh, Connor Zilich, the uh, 17-year-old who was recently signed as a development deal for uh, Trackhouse Racing, he was actually part of the winning team in LMP2. So... He ended up getting the Rolex 24 win at that level. Finished uh, P9 overall. Uh, Jamie, uh, who would you like to see? Honestly, I would like to see both Bubba Wallace and Tyler Reddick uh, participate. Uh, just just to get some more, uh, not necessarily like like just because they, they need the driving or anything like that, but... I think Michael Jordan getting into the Rolex 24, adding that extra publicity is something that is needed. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Like, the prestige of the Rolex 24 uh, is an entity of its own. But kind of like um, anything else, the only people who really check out the Rolex 24 are, like, diehard motorsport people. So I would like to see uh, 2311... Uh, with Michael Jordan, partner up with like a with like Cadillac or uh, Andretti or something like that to and get into a car and uh, just just be a participant. Like there's really no expectations for them to go out and win the thing or anything like that. But just to add extra publicity with like a Andretti Jordan partnership for uh, for the Rolex, I think would be super cool for the sport. Well, and the reason why I brought up Lexus earlier as a potential landing spot for those Toyota drivers is because Lexus is obviously a subsidiary company of Toyota's. So that existing partnership there between Toyota and the and Lexus could very well be an a easier way to le leverage that in versus trying to bring your Toyota for drivers sure. to go run a Cadillac, which is a GM or Chevy brand. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, brand of car, could, I could care less about the brand of car. 
Uh, it's just I look at it more from a marketing standpoint. Uh, anything that Jordan is a part of instantly gets major publicity. Um, like even some like e even when you looked at uh, fishing, the White Marlin Open is publicized because Michael Jordan is a participant in the White Marlin Open. Um, so if they if they can boost popularity in a sport like fishing, imagine what it could do in the world of motorsports outside of NASCAR. Yeah, that's that's all I got on that. So um, I would have to say um, I'm surprised nobody said anything about it. But, uh, you know, recently it was just announced that they're entering the uh, MotoGP world. But I would like to see the Trackhouse guys get in it. Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez. Yeah. I was going to bring them up, but I, my mind started looking at it like from a marketing standpoint instead of like just raw talent drivers and you, you never know what you're going to get if you see Ross Chastain in a different vehicle weaving through lap traffic like it's no tomorrow. That, yeah. that would just be fun. The only concern I would have there is remind him that, hey, it's 24 hours, not 24 laps. Right. <laughs> no, though... All right, well... Oh, I was going to say, if you're looking at a track house partnership, though, potentially partner uh, them up with the... Uh, Chip Ganassi guys bring back that zero two uh, Cadillac that they had a couple years ago. Um, be able to fill that one out because obviously there's that established relationship from the sale of Chip Ganassi's NASCAR team that became Trackhouse. Do either of you guys remember uh, how well the NASCAR Next Gen car did at the Rolex Twenty Four last year? Uh, you mean at the uh, Twenty Four Hours of Le Mans? Yes. Uh, give me a second and I can have the results pulled up here. Because I was, I I was trying to figure well. out if it did fairly well, then why not why not roll that bad boy out and just have NASCAR put a stamp on the Rolex 24 with with, uh, with that car now that they are more accustomed to it and can know, know how to handle that car and get it to do what it needs to do to be competitive. So uh, it ended up being the 10th best in the GTE or what in the States is known as uh, GTD. Uh, so it finished 10th in that class if it were just thrown right into that class, and it was 39th overall. So not bad. The only yeah, problem not, not would be bad for whether how, how um, IMSA would go about scoring it because for the 24 Hours of Le Mans, it was a separate entry kind of in a class all its own technically although it did race in a similar speed bracket to the gte cars yeah um, there would certainly be you know that would be a question to be asked because lamar has the garage 56 entry but 24 hours of daytona hasn't ever really had something like that before yeah, I don't know. I, I think it was be that, that would just be a cool sure. way for NASCAR. To... Yeah, I definitely think that would be a cool stamp for NASCAR to kind of be a, just be a part of uh, the Rolex 24. Sure. I know they don't really like to see their drivers out there participating in stuff like that so close to the start of their actual season, especially with the Clash coming up. But yeah. still, if, if this is just a celebration of motorsports, I feel like NASCAR needs to be a part of it. Honestly, I mean... I wouldn't mind seeing them do uh, even just kind of an exhibition sprint race like the day before or something paired up with like the Michelin Pilot Challenge 
and do a race just with the modified, uh, you know, kind of, you know, stock cars potentially bring out two, three drivers to do just a short sprint race. Could be an interesting way to try and work that into the weekend. Well, on that note, um, as I said at the top of the show, gentlemen, the NASCAR season is upon us. We are four days away from the Bushlight Clash at the Coliseum. And I seen on social media yesterday that the uh, race teams were posting that their haulers were heading out starting the 2,500-mile journey from Charlotte to the Los Angeles area. Uh, JP, are we hyped for uh, Sunday night? We are. Um, so, actually, funny story. Um, I actually have a friend of mine that works on OCR with the coach, and he actually um, uh, purchasing a cat radio. He actually showed me a picture of Kyle Busch's car for this weekend. Uh, which which uh, sponsor is he carrying this weekend? See the yellow, his new yellow one. Okay. Is it the uh, Morgan and Morgan paint scheme? Yeah, Morgan and Morgan. I wasn't sure if he was gonna be running his zone paint scheme or not. Yeah, that's a pretty paint scheme, by the way. Yeah, it was, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week. Yeah. Ben, are we uh are we excited for Sunday? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm off actually, so actually, you know what? Maybe I'll watch it. It's something you can to watch, watch with me, Ben, if you want. Yeah, you go. Yeah, I I can do that. That would be all pretty cool. Now, oh, you got to be excited. I see you wearing that uh RCR uh, crew shirt there, so you got to be excited for uh. Uh, Sunday. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited for Sunday. Um, the what I will say, I just went and checked the weather. It is looking better. Still looking at like a fifty percent chance of rain on Sunday, but it, it's a lot better than the seventy percent I saw you know, a couple days ago when I was checking the weather. So certainly trending in the right direction, but hopefully the weather stays away. I'm looking forward though to watching the heat races on Saturday night, and then it's, the it's California. Yeah, and say it's typically dry, but and say there's supposed to be like a, a two to three day pocket of rain that's supposed to pop up sometime around the start of the race, whether that's Sunday I mean, night or don't, Monday. They need it, I'm sure. Oh yeah, they definitely need it, but the race doesn't. Because I can't imagine how that no. how the LA Coliseum race would do in the wet. Yeah, put some slicks on. Let's go. I mean, hey, they have the rain tires for short tracks, but considering how little yeah. the control was at Martinsville when they tried them in the trucks, I can't imagine what they would do at a very short oval like that. Yeah, yeah I was... I was going to bring that up. Um, Bob Pockers did put out earlier today that they do have the rain tires and stuff like that, but they will not race if it is current, like actively raining because the cars do not have the uh, windshield wipers or the uh, mud flaps 
Yeah. Um, they would only race in like damp con- damp conditions. Yeah, basically allowing them to race before the track has gotten truly dry. But I mean, where they also have to repave that track every year because of how it gets converted between a football field and a racetrack, it's going to be some of the smoothest surface that they that they really ever race on. Yep. Uh, Mr. Jamie, Mr. Jamie, how are you uh, feeling for Sunday? Oh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, anytime that I get to see uh, the NASCAR on a track, um, it's going to be a win for me. Um, I'm also a big paint scheme guy, and it looks like everyone's rocking out with some some special paint schemes uh, just for the clash, which I'm always a fan of. Um, Chase Elliott, I'm a big fan of. Uh, we, we 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 obviously know how big, much of a fan I am on that. People don't necessarily agree with me on the on the topic of it being the main team, but man on you. Um, other other schemes I like, uh, I like Ricky Stenhouse bringing back Cheerios as a main scheme. I think that kind of brings a cool retro uh, look to it. Um, uh, Bubba Wallace's scheme looks looks clean. Uh, I love that scheme. And then. Uh, an underrated one that I didn't really know about is Kaz Gralla's number 15 car in the Capital Partners Ford. That That is probably my favorite scheme out of the entire week, uh, out of the whole list. So if you guys get a chance to check that one out, I would I would, I would say check that out. That that car looks nice. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I saw the uh, release of Bubba Wallace's uh, paint scheme today. Yeah. And that 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 paint scheme is going to pop under the lights for real. And uh, oh yeah, for sure. The Casgrala paint scheme is uh, really really nice. I don't know if you saw like the concept of it, but if they roll out with the painted wheels, I am going to lose my mind. Uh huh. That was a big attractor to me too. Yep. So uh, that leads me into a question. Uh, since we're four days away from the clash, uh, we're going to start with JP, but. Um, Pretend you have uh, some infield passes for the Daytona 500, and you're walking around the garage area. Um, you come across this little bitty gas can laying on the ground. It's old and dusty and stuff, and you pick it up, and it's got something written on it. So you rub it off, and out pops a genie, and he grants you one wish for the 2024 NASCAR season. What do you wish for, JP? One wish of spying. You said spotting? Yep. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Ben, what would you wish for? For the for the whole season or just one one thing to happen during the twenty twenty four season, what would you wish for? Uh for Chase Elliott not to break his leg again. I mean, I would hope that that's a standard assumption that that that, that kind of bad luck isn't going to strike him two years in a row, but... I mean, you would hope so. Ryan, what would you wish for? Um, I mean, honestly, I would probably... My wish would probably be for at least one of the races on the season to end in a all-time classic finish like the 2016 Daytona 500, like 
uh, the 2016, I think it was even, I think Phoenix that year was another one of those all-time kind of classic fender-to-fender finishes. Just another one of those, because it feels like it's been a while since we had a true battle to the checkers. It feels like it's always a race till they crash on the white flag lap, which ends the race in those tight battles. Yep. So I'd like to see one where they actually get to the checkers under the green flag and can actually battle it out fender to fender. Because I don't remember Jamie, when the last time wish? we got one of those was. My wish to the NASCAR genie is please, oh please, please make the Brickyard 400 a successful race. Please make it tight. Please make it uh, a super close finish because I don't, I want it to be such a good race that has good attendance and I don't want them to ever consider taking the Brickyard 400 back off the schedule because I love the prestige that that comes with and I've missed it. And I'm really hoping that with these new cars that they can make a, a good race to where it's exciting for everybody and it continues to be on the schedule for the history of ever. Can we combine mine and Jamie's wish so that the all-time great finish happens at the 30th anniversary of the Brickyard? Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I would very much like that too. All right, so my, my wish is going to be a little bit of a hot take on this. Um, it was posted the other day that this year's Daytona 500 will be the third Daytona 500 ran on February 18th since 2001, which was the day that Dale Earnhardt Sr. died. Yep. Both both of those Daytona 500s in 2007 were won by Kevin Harvick, and in 2018 won by Austin Dillon, both RCR drivers. So my wish to the NASCAR genie is that the 2024 Daytona 500 is finally won by the number eight of Kyle Busch. Let's go. I would I would not be I would not be uh sad on that because I'm a big fan of the eight car in general. Uh so just seeing the number eight, I can kind of throw some shade at uh my fellow Thomas Cup drivers, uh being like, Oh look at that, the eight star in the season right. Wink wink. Uh yeah. but I'm a fan I'm a fan, now I'm now a fan of Kyle Bush. I haven't been a fan of his in the past. I felt like he's had a attitude and uh, with that chip on his shoulder but this this grizzled family style veteran that he's turning himself into i can dig it so plus uh i think he i think it's good for richard childress to continue the trend so i'm on board with it and uh you know it, it would be it would be awesome for a bunch of reasons one you know kyle bush you know is one of the goats you know, and it would be awesome to see him finally break through and win the Daytona 500. Um, I believe he is going into his 19th or 20th season in the Cup Series, uh, if 19. I'm not mistaken. Oh, oh, 05 was his first season. Okay, so 19. And three, it would just be so awesome to see the eight car back in victory lane at Daytona because I grew up a diehard Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan. And say, me and a friend, we were actually talking about the hate car and talking about how for either Darlington Throwback Weekend that 
uh, Bush should sponsor him for one race just to bring back the old Budweiser number eight. That would be sick. Yeah, but we know someone who wouldn't allow that. Well, yeah, they wouldn't be able to bring back the same font, but to bring back a similar uh, number eight throwback. I mean, even if you have to keep the new stylized number eight font, being able to just have yeah. a red number eight there out on the track would be cool. Yep. All right. All right. So, boys, we're ready. We are ready for NASCAR to come back. That I don't know what you guys sure. do during the off season. I, I don't know what you guys do during the off season, but you know, I'm I, I've, I'm ready. I've been ready. Um, I don't think we're gonna have a uh, a good old rumbling tonight. So we're gonna go into our uh, next topic, um, and I'm gonna let Ryan take the lead on this. Uh, this is a bit of breaking news today in regards to uh, Formula One. Ryan, take it away. Yeah, so as of today, Formula One had um, has officially opted to deny Andretti, uh, Andretti Global and Andretti Autosports bid to enter Formula One as a new, um, as the 11th team for their grid. For those of you guys who don't know, Formula One works off of a system where each team brings two cars to every race. So right now there's ten, uh, there's 10 teams in Formula One. Andretti trying to be the 11th would add uh, cars number 21 and 22 to the grid. But F1 has officially denied it. And I think the biggest thing rubbing a lot of people kind of the wrong way is the specific wording in their statement from earlier today. Um, a couple of those quotes, including that um, um, F1 did not believe that Andretti provided um, value to Formula One as a championship, and that the way that they could provide more value would be in being a competitive uh, entrant, and that they don't believe that Andretti would be a competitive participant in the race. Uh, and kind of the other kind of sticking point that they've uh, brought up as to why they denied it was also uh, in the next bullet point. Um, talking about the fact that the Andretti team would need to uh, borrow an engine from the, uh, from the Renault team for a couple of seasons while, uh, while their uh, partnership with Cadillac continued working on developing their own Cadillac engine. So those so, were like uh, kind of the two main bullet points. There were a few others, but we'll get to those probably in a minute. So, JP, uh, do you uh, follow F1? Did you hear about any of this? Tonight's my first time hearing about it. But I have an interesting take. Um, why don't you know? Tell me this, um, F1. Why, why wouldn't you let the most famous person, but 
alongside your team with Peggy to not come into your sport. They have dominated sports before. Are you get to play that you're just going to come in and dominate? I mean, I don't think F1's really scared of domination. If you've watched any, uh, any F1 race over the last decade or so, I mean, every season has been pretty much dominated. The last two have been heavily dominated by Red Bull, including this past year where Max Verstappen alone, his point total alone would have been enough to claim the World Drivers' Championship or the um, the uh, Constructors' Championship. So his point total outdid any other two-car team combined uh, this past year, including I think he won officially 20 of the 23 races on the schedule. So if the worries is, is, a t- is a team being dominant, I just don't see that being... A reason they should be worried. Yeah, you got a point there. And before that, it was Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes winning what? Seven championships across the span of like eight, nine years? Yeah. Ben, uh, do you have any uh, insight? I don't know if you follow F1 or not. I don't follow up one that much, but I do know that Andretti is a famous name. And why not just let him race? Like, what harm is it going to cause? Who cares? He doesn't have two cards with him. Like, big deal. Just let the dude fucking go out there and have fun. Like, it's just a race. It's not going to end the world just because he's trying to race. He might not even make it. He might not even qualify. Like, who knows? Like, who cares? Just let the guy have fun. It's not like... It's not... Not like, uh... They're going to lose their pulse over it. Let the guy race and have fun. I mean... Yeah, if it was NASCAR, they would let him probably do it. They'd be like, yeah, no problem. Come on in. But no, we gotta be Formula 1. Gotta be all fancy. Uh, Ryan, how do you feel? So, I have a couple of issues with with it, and where I follow Formula One, where I've followed Formula One a little bit closer, especially after hearing about uh, form about Andretti and their attempt to uh, get this seat on the uh, um, in the F one ranks. Um, I've you know, as I've been following a little bit more closely. Um, supposedly Colton Herta was one of the drivers that they had, uh, picked out to, uh, to drive for them, yeah, uh, in this eventual F1 challenger as well. So it would have been an American driver coming in to dr- drive one of two cars for what was supposed to be basically branded as America's F1 team, despite the fact that Haas racing exists. Um, but... Again, the specific wording behind the uh, press release, I think, is the thing that shook a lot of people the wrong way. Because, like, they even talk about here where it would be damaging to the prestige and standing of the championship if any new team were to take a another team's power supply unit or engine, uh, potentially over a period of a couple of seasons, 
and it would be damaging to the pre prestige of the championship. Although, again, Andretti, from the start, has announced that they are working with Cadillac to build a motor for Formula One eventually, but um, but they would but they would need to you know, temporarily badge a Renault engine, which is not uncommon to have seen in the world of Formula One. Um, like for example, right now the Haas Formula One team uh, is slapping their own logos on the um, on the Ferrari engine. The Williams team uses the Mercedes engine. So I mean, a lot of the other teams buy engines from other manufacturers that aren't directly involved. So that's one of those where it's like. I wouldn't have a problem with it if it weren't for the fact that half the grid was pretty much doing it anyway. Um, and then one of their other bullet points here. While the Andretti name carries recognition for F1 fans, our research indicates that Formula One would bring more value to the Andretti brand <laughs> rather than the other way around, which, again, as I said before we went live, that um, the Andretti... Yeah, that that statement there also rings true for I think yeah eight of the ten current Formula One teams. I think other than Red Bull and Ferrari, I think every other team on the grid gains more recognition for themselves by being associated with F one than F one does by get being associated with Ferrari. Um, and the and the very last bullet point of this was actually probably the most interesting because it leaves open the door for potent for a potential uh, uh, window to open to enter in. We would look differently on an application of uh, for the entry of a team into the 2028 championship with a GM power unit, either as a GM works uh, team. So either as a, uh, as a like manufacturer based team or as a GM customer team. So whether or not the team is basically uh, core uh, or Cadillac racing, or if they're just buying Cadillac motors from uh, general motors. Uh, so as a GM customer team designing all allowable components in house, in this case, there would be additional factors to consider in respect of the value that the, that the applicant would bring to the championship. In particular, in respect of bringing a prestigious new OEM to the sport as a power unit supplier. So, based on that, it sounds like you know, the door is open for them to potentially go in in, tw in 2028. If the if Cadillac is bringing in a fresh motor for that season, okay, uh, Jamie, uh, what are your thoughts? Ryan, hmm, you left me almost nothing else to talk about. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there was three things I was going to be bringing up, and you hit on all three things. Sorry about that. To, to one exception. To one exception. It's okay. All right. So back on back on the statement that you talked about. Yep. Um, with uh, how 
Formula One feels like it builds value to the Andrea brand as as to where instead of it being vice versa. Yep. I would argue against that. I would argue the fact that um, Andretti being a part of Formula One would create more money for Formula One because of the Andretti name being a part of it. More fans are going to tune into it because of the Andretti name. The, re- on, the first reason why I got into IndyCar was the Andretti name. Yep. Uh, started off with uh, I- started off with uh, James Hinchcliffe uh, taking over the number 10 GoDaddy car and coming now dressed up like Danica Patrick was the best thing ever because he was driving for Andretti. <laughs> um, so I think them saying that was more of just a flex move rather than it being an actual financial decision, which I strongly disagree with. Uh, the second thing is uh, among that, if if there's if they actually cared about viewers and ratings and merchandising and ticket sales and all the stuff that they bring money, why would you not include Mario Andretti? There, outside of Penske, outside of uh, maybe Richard Childress, Andretti is up there in top three global names. Yep. I mean, so, especially where Mario Andretti himself it's, is a former F1 world champion. Exactly, and that I was I was going to be bringing that up as well. Like, like there's. They they pay no they they pay no uh, loyalty points to a guy who was literally in their sport doing what he does best, which is winning. And you're gonna go ahead and do a flex move and just say, oh, no, we're not gonna let you in because we're gonna come up with some BS excuse of this this and this. I don't know. It's 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 hard for me to get into F1 in general just because the timings of the races. But now this just kind of makes me not want to even watch it. Not not gonna lie. I, I mean, I, I'm sure at some point I'll probably check out some highlights because of uh, Lewis Hamilton and Verstappen and uh, some some of those guys. But I don't know. Kind of makes me feel a certain type of way about the sport and just these head execs who use the the wrestling term "best for business" and uh, I think it's a bunch of hogwash. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's just trying to make them look good. And say one other thing that wasn't as highlighted in the uh, press release from today is that pretty much ever since the yeah uh, uh, since the formation and announcement of this Andretti uh, bid, uh, the teams have been pretty much universally against. Uh, Andretti coming in because it would take a piece of the pie that they feel is rightly theirs. And I think the only team that's been kind of on their side is the Renault team that would be getting extra data because, well, um, Andretti would be running uh, the same um, Renault engines. So, uh, my take on it is pretty simple. Uh, back in week one, um, 
Rumble stated, uh, was talking about the Joey Logano thing, talking about how NASCAR fans are spoiled. Well, Joey Logano is 100% wrong. Formula One, Formula One fans, the head executives are the biggest spoiled fucking brats I have ever seen in my entire life. I saw posts when F1 was in Vegas of shirts and hats upwards of two hundred to three hundred dollars. Yep. And, yep. And all that, and all it is, is a Nike dry fit with a logo on it. And the Andretti name is one of the foundations of North American motorsports. They have just royally pissed off the entire North American fan base by not allowing Andretti to compete in their sport in 2025. And I guarantee you, they are probably going to lose some money over this decision. Yeah. Now, while we are on the topic of Formula One, I have a question for you, gentlemen. Starting with JP. Let's say you are starting your own Formula One team and you are allowed to compete in Formula One without Kyle Larson. Which two NASCAR drivers would you pick to race for your Formula One team? Easily. Without Kyle Larson. Kyle. Yes. And I can't believe I'm saying this. Bubba Wallace. Mm-hmm. How are you, Ben? If I was going to have a NASCAR team start in Formula One? Yep. Mm-hmm. Two drivers, right? Yep. Two yeah, drivers. two drivers. But you cannot you cannot pick Kyle Larson. All right. Well, uh, Chase Elliott. And... Hmm. Probably, um, shit. Who else is good at road courses? Uh, Ty Gibbs. Okay. Right. Um, so if you'd asked me this, like, two, three years ago, I think that there's a driver I would have definitely picked, but, um, Kurt Busch isn't in NASCAR anymore. He's retired and... From the sounds of it, it sounds like he's still not medically back to 100% after his uh, back injury at Pocono. So, um, I would probably, he would have been kind of my first pick just because he's raced open wheel uh, cars before with his Indy 500 attempt. I think that familiarity would be valuable. Unfortunately, there's not really anybody else in the Cup Series aside from Larson who will have run the double to try and make a team out of so i would probably just have to look at the and, top road course guys and if, if only robbie gordon was still racing yeah robbie gordon would be a good option as well if he were still around if he was still racing but i would have to or, say or tony stewart yeah tony stewart would be a good yeah. one too but um i would probably say chase elliott would be my first pick with his baseline of how good he's been at the nascar road courses not to mention having a big name that you can bring in. Although, clearly, from what we've seen, it doesn't really matter how big your name is. You're, it isn't going to necessarily help you with just getting in. 
but I think his talent on track could back it up. And for a second driver to pair up with him, I would probably pick... Um, honestly, I'd probably pick William Byron because of that already built-in chemistry from them working together as teammates and with William Byron's familiarity with simulation driving. That would be the easiest way to get both of them up to speed as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, Kyle so, Busch would I, be I a very good backup pick as well. Um, just from yeah. the fact that he's driven a lot of different cars in his past as well. Yeah, I was thinking those two as well, but I was also thinking the other guy. But I don't think he's full time in a NASCAR yet. The one guy who won Chicago. Yeah, I was going to pick him. But I was he's like, uh, full time Xfinity this year. You, you yeah, can pick so him. Would, I can pick him. Well, then I would pick yeah, him yeah. and Chase Elliott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really consider him because he's not full time Cup, but he is full time on the Xfinity Series side. Yeah, I, I was thinking about him and William Byron. Then I was like, yeah, Ty Gibbs, but the other guy, definitely. Yeah, Shane Van Gisbergen, especially where yeah, um, especially where F1's adding another street circuit to their schedule as well, because uh, I just heard that the plan is that the uh, Spanish Grand Prix is getting moved uh, to a downtown street circuit in, uh, in Madrid, Spain in the next couple of years as well. So that would be, I think, a total of like six or seven yeah. street courses out of F1's 23 race schedule. And they know how to do street races. Exactly. So, I mean, someone who clearly knows how to do street races like Shane Van Gisbergen would be a big pick. Yeah, definitely. Jamie? So, here's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with two drivers. I'm not going to say Chase Elliott because I feel like his name's been said too much, even though I completely agree with that. But here are my two drivers I would say. The first person that I would use would be Tyler Reddick. Yeah. Because his wins came at Circuit of the Americas, Indy Road Course, and the Road America. All circuits that are very similar to the style that F1 likes to run. Say, and then Circuit of the Americas my... being an official F1 track. Correct. <laughs> and then the next one, he's just a really good uh, driver in general. With no coincidental, we talked about him in, in, the, in, the, in, this, in the past podcast as well. Ross Chastain, again, also a, a relatively recent winner at Circuit of the Americas. You pair Ross Chastain and Tyler Reddick together, two young and upcoming drivers with aggression and the ability to improve the vehicle. Uh, I think that would be a strong two two man tandem to compete in F one. Okay. My only concern there would be the potential concern of would Ross Chastain be able to handle not making a ton of contact because those Formula One cars are way more fragile than a NASCAR stock car. Okay, fair point. So based on that, based on that, I will make a quick conundrum because it was, it was between him and one other person, and that could be the deciding factor. And you actually re- like this, Ryan? Yep. 
my alternate my alternate to replace Ross Chastain, Michael McDowell. Yeah, I I would like that. <laughs> I don't that man I don't dislike the that man is a man, very underrated can, road course racer. I would just be worried about again the high contact nature of how Chastain likes to race. Yeah, and that that's a fair point. So with that, I'll probably go Tyler Reddick and Michael McDowell as my two man tandem. Uh, Ryan. How See, how often at the, at the at the end of any of the road course racing that NASCAR has had in let's say the past three years, what is Michael McDowell's average finish? Uh, I don't know it off the top of my head, but and say if he's not getting wrecked out, he's usually able to make his way up to the front. I mean that Indy road course race being the absolute highlight, but I mean his road so course finishes even with. Even with getting wrecked out, uh, he in the past three years he was wrecked out three times. Yep. In doing so, he has an average finish of five point five on road courses. On road courses. Nice. Um. So, Jamie uh, Michael McDowell was going to be one of my picks, but I'm actually going to switch ah. it up. I'm going to pick. The obvious uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, and I'm completely and utterly shocked that nobody said his name. But my second pick is AJ Allmendinger. Do we really get to count SVG because he just got here? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us weren't weren't really thinking of him because one, he's I say I don't know how many of us even remembered he was full time in the Xfinity series. I did. Well, then why didn't you name him, JP? You could have picked him up for your team, for your F1 team. Because uh, I don't think you could do it. I'm just, I'm just shocked that nobody said, I'm just, I'm just shocked that nobody said Almendinger. I mean, he's, you know, a Euro open wheel champion and, you know, he got his first cup series win on a road course. And, you know, he's won the Charlotte Roval and the Indy Road Course. And, you know, he is a great open wheel and road course racer. Yeah, my worry there would only be my only worry that would really be the fact that he's, what, 41, 42 years old, which for NASCAR is still kind of at the back end of your prime. But for Formula One, it seems like most of the drivers don't make it to 40 years old before leaving the sport. Yeah. So I would just, that would be kind of my one concern with him because I love Almendinger. Would like to see him have uh, potentially been able to do something last year in the Cup Series before getting moved down to Xfinity. But if I if I had a backup pick, um, I wouldn't say McDowell because I wouldn't want to steal him from Jamie. Yeah. But I would pick Sam Mayer. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Sam Mayer, all of his career wins in the Xfinity Series last year came on road courses. Uh, he won home like he has, as well. Oh, okay, yeah, that too. Yeah. But, I mean, he's figured out the road course thing. Yeah, I specifically remember watching him celebrating and saying, we finally won an oval. <laughs> I would also say probably Eric Amarola too. Yeah, I mean, Amarola in the Xfinity race at Sonoma last year looked impressive. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is that this NASCAR Cup Series with how many road courses they've had in recent years, 
a lot of the guys have had to start adapting to become way better road course racers than they have in years past. Because back when it was only two races a year, you could kind of just coast through them and know that the points average would get you in. Versus nowadays where you yeah. really have to be able to perform at the road course, especially with two in the playoffs now. You're going to have to be able to yeah, and the road courses. And based on that, like, yeah, uh, Greg, you, you were kind of shocked no one brought up AJ Allmendinger. But even as good as the road course racer as the dinger is, it's all about what have you done for me lately. <laughs> and... <clears throat> As of late, like he's been in the mix, but he's just not finishing the races. Yeah. And that's that's why I went the McDowell Reddick route, or the McDowell, uh, or the uh, Reddick uh, Chastain route, because they're finishing races, they're taking care of the vehicles, they are um, doing it and performing at a high level. If we if we had this conversation. Like three, to, three to four years ago. Oh yeah, uh, the dinger would be my numero uno uh, in picking. I'll, if I had my choice, like, like as like a, like blast from the past plus current, I would do a Tony Stewart AJ Allmendinger tandem. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like you said, gaming. It's am I on here? Yep. We can hear you. Yeah, you're on. Um, like you said, Gamey, um, it's what have you done for me lately? And the dinger for me gets, hasn't shown too much speed in Cup. So I know he's going back down to Xfinity. So we'll see if he, he would make or F1 teams with his Xfinity scouts. Well, and that's where it's always hard to grade someone's Xfinity Series success versus their Cup success. I mean, look at how everybody treats kind of the Kyle Busch success in the Xfinity Series, where it's like, it isn't as impressive because, well, you're a Cup-level talent heading down to the minor league and probably going to clean up. <laughs> Yeah, so. I mean, I think his only real competition on the road courses is probably going to come from maybe Sam Mayer and SVG for sure. But, I mean, I think it's going to be between pretty much those three on the road courses. Uh, one one little sign note once we're done with this. Uh, I was just reading over the format for yep. the Clash, which I think would be important to talk about, so. Uh, before we hop off, I want to talk about that. All right, yeah. I got, I got, I got one more question to ask, but we can go over the uh, clash format first. Go ahead, uh, Jamie. Go ahead. Yeah. So for uh, Saturday's uh, four twenty-five lap heat races, uh, it'll have up to about ten drivers per heat. Um, the top five finishers in each heat will automatically advance into Sunday night's main event. While the drivers who finish fifth, below fifth in each of the heat will will advance to Sunday's Sunday afternoon's qualifier for the 75 lap last chance qualifier. Uh, top four from each heat race yeah. uh, auto advance. 
Uh, this is right off of NASCAR's uh, website. Hmm. I'm reading it off. It says top five. Unless I got something. Unless I've got the one from last year. Oh yeah, you might have. Oh yeah, yeah. Here's the one for this year. Yeah. Okay, so top five. Move on. And then, um, and then in that uh, qualifier, uh, the starting position for the qualifier will be determined by the finishing order of the heat races. The top two finishers and and the the top two in the last chance qualifier will advance into the clash, and they will start respectively in the 21st and 22nd position. Mm. Yep. Uh, one other uh, change, and I think it's good to mention this as well, uh, considering the topic of one of our previous episodes, uh, they did opt to make the uh, practice slash heat race day free and open to the entire public whether or not they have a Sunday ticket. So, they went and righted that wrong that we were kind of putting them on blast for uh, the other day. Uh, in that now literally anyone that shows up to the Coliseum, again, regardless of a ticket or not, can go and see both qualifying and the heat races. I think yeah. that's excellent news. That gives them more exposure. Yep, and anyone and then they have who hears the noise coming can go and see what's going on. Now, is Machine Gun Kelly only doing the uh, main race, or is he going to be like doing mini concerts throughout the weekend? Or I don't know. He's just doing. He's just doing the uh, race break. So the the race is the main clash is seventy five laps, and then a break, and then seventy five laps. I think he's just performing right in the middle of that. Yeah, so he'll be doing okay. halftime. Now, uh, my I, last I, question I just, is just because I haven't seen anything on it. Is there going to be anything televised for this uh, on Saturday? Yes. Um, I have not seen channel things. I only seen advertisement for Sunday. Yeah, give me a second and I can pull it up. But uh, I know, uh, I believe it's I, FS1 has all of uh, Saturday, and then it's a split between FS1 and Main Fox. Yeah, on Sunday, but if you give me a second, I can have the exact uh, TV window pulled up. Okay. While Ryan, while I Ryan's will definitely be watching that, up, that. Yep. Yeah, while, while Ryan's pulling that up, I just have a take on the whole format thing. It, it's like Rumble talked about a couple of weeks ago. It has just become way too freaking gimmicky, and they are trying to overcomplicate it. You know, they need to just go back to the old style format, race winners and poll winners from the previous season are allowed in. That's it. You don't need all of these qualifying heat races and last chance qualifiers and stuff like that. Yeah. Acting like World of Outlaws. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I will say I actually quite like the idea that any driver, aside from last year's cup champion, Ryan Blaney, at this point, uh, could go home. It puts a lot more kind of stakes on the line in the LCQ compared to in previous years where you kind of just knew that anyone who had won a poll from the previous year was in. I kind of like the format where you give everybody a chance to race their way in. I mean, gives a it's, chance for a... It's pretty much like, like the chase format, except everybody's in on it. Yeah, and it gives everybody a chance to, for example, someone like a Corey LaJoy or a Carson Hosevar could come out and surprise and end up bumping out a Hendrick car, a Gibbs car. I mean, what was it? Both RFK cars, I think, missed the main event last year? 
Yep. So, I mean, stuff like that. And that was a great start there, season. Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those things where it can be a storyline, and especially in the Clash, it's the one race I don't mind if they go and gimmick it up. That and the All-Star race, because they're kind of the races that are meant to be overly gimmicked up comparatively to the rest of the season. Well, I'm, and I mean, the, go ahead. That's what I'm getting at, though. You know, you got all of these teams traveling 2,500 plus miles to Los Angeles, and there's a 50-50 chance that they might may not even. They're only going to be there for a day, and then they got to turn around and load everything well, up and then drive 2,500 miles back. None of them are knocked out after the heat race. They all get to race in the LCQ on Sunday still. Which is a 75 lapper. Yeah, so I mean, they still will all get, uh, say, uh, everybody who finishes uh, sixth or worse in their respective heat race will all get to race on Sunday in the LCQ. And then af after those 75 laps, only two are going to advance. But to also argue on it, like, I know a lot of people wanted to go back to Daytona and just bring back the tradition and the same format like you brought up, Greg. But here, here's the beauty in all this, and we, we kind of missed the point a lot. Outside of the past couple years, how often has the Clash really been brought about in, like, radio talk shows and podcasts and things like that with that without the with the exception of cool we're we're starting the race we're starting the uh NASCAR season with with the duels at Daytona I mean the 2019 clash I think is a great example I mean single file train basically practice laps and they would use it even more so th these days because there isn't any practice before the uh before qualifying happens for the 500 there's no chance for them to practice prior to qualifying or even the uh, duels. So. And there was really no reason for them to even try and win the darn thing because they didn't want to damage up their equipment for the 500. Yeah, and if they do feel like damaging their equipment is worth trying to win the race, they'll wait until the last lap or two to make their move. I mean, because that 2019 race, I mean, up until the rain came, they everybody just stayed in a nice single file line and then as the rain was coming Jimmy Johnson made the move wrecking uh, Paul Menard for the race win then we, then the 2020 yep. clash happened which I think most of us still remember the uh, race where like two cars finished yeah but even now so like with it now being at the Coliseum yes we may complain about the Coliseum the way it looked and how short the track is and things like that but the simple fact of the matter is the clash is now being talked about more than ever. Yep. A lot of people are voicing opinions on it. A lot of people are spending time and energy on discussing it, looking into it. And yes, at this point, throw all the gimmicks you want. Make it a free-for-all for all I care. Everyone who shows up there all has an equal chance of making it into the dance, and I like that idea. And, say, and they aren't necessarily even requiring all the teams to go out, but they are allowing any of the teams that want to go out. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if, I mean, if Rick Ware Racing needed to save money, I wouldn't be shocked if Rick Ware did end up skipping the Clash one of these years if it does become a financial toll. But the potential return is good enough that they show up. <laughs> 
because they aren't required to show yeah. up for the uh, club. Yeah, you know, I'm excited for it because that that unknown factor of who's actually going to make it in applies some pr some much needed pressure and some thrill uh, to the clash. And it's yes, it's a, a half mile or a quarter of a mile track, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's still a, a cool concept. I still like the fact that uh, they continue to add new twists and turns into the formats where not, nothing is really a given. And it, it makes for some exciting racing because everyone's going to be fighting to try and make it into the main. And I like it. You know what I think they should do? Just, you know, even if it's just like one time only, take it back to Daytona and put those drivers in the old IROC cars. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to bring it back to Daytona, I think you have to change the car significantly enough that the drivers don't feel like they have a chance to use it as practice laps to understand mm -hmm. the 500, because if the drivers can get free practice laps, they're going to use it, as we saw from, oh, yeah, 20, sure. from the 2018 since they onward. Don't. Yeah, especially since they don't really, since COVID, they don't get practice at all anymore now which is stupid so but... that that would just further incentivize them to just log it as a practice lap or a practice uh session but the iroc cars are is a cool concept especially with them uh wanting to bring back uh the iroc cars in general uh i think uh that would be more of a uh i don't know if daytona would be the most exciting place to unveil it I would say maybe in Atlanta, maybe uh, Nashville Speedway. Yeah, I mean. Or even even bring up even re rebuild a uh, a, tr a track that is on the come up, uh, that from the olden days, just to add that that retro feel like a Rockingham or a uh, uh what why am I blanking on it? Wilkesboro. Uh, not, not Wilkesboro. Fairgrounds? Fairgrounds already been built. What was that? Are you talking about the Fairgrounds Fairground. in Nashville? Yes. Yes, Fairgrounds. That's what I meant when I said, when I initially said Nashville, that, that's the track I was uh, implying. All right. Uh, I've got the uh, times and everything pulled up, so if we want to talk about that next. Yep, we'll, we'll, we'll hit on the, the timing of where everyone can view it, and then I think... I think that we, we should be good, Greg. Yep. I, well, after Ryan's done, I have one more question for you guys, and then we'll wrap it up. Ah, uh, yes, I forgot about that. Sorry, Ben. All right. So, um, not really overly surprising, but the Mexico series, they've got two practices and qualifying on Saturday, which are not televised from uh, starting at about 1 o'clock going through 4.30. Yeah, not really surprising, but a little disappointing to see that that series isn't getting even, like, FS2 level coverage. Again, not overly surprising, but disappointing. Then at FS1, um, at about 6 o'clock, the uh, cup practice will be starting. Um, and then they will practice for, I believe it's an hour, hour and a half. And then NASCAR Race Hub and uh, will lead into the heats, which the heat races start at 8.30 at night, Saturday night. Then Sunday afternoon at 4.30, the Mexico race is on 
uh, Fox Sports 1, and then uh, the broadcast will transition to uh, Fox for the remainder of the race day, uh, with NASCAR race day at, at 6. The LCQ will be starting around 6.30 or so, and then NASCAR race day again, and the uh, cup main event should be starting sometime around 8 on Network Fox. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. oh, all right, gentlemen, I have one final question for you guys before we close this episode out. All right. Since we are only four, since we are only four days away from the official start of the NASCAR season, Mr. JP, are you attending any races in 2024? Funny, funny you say that. Uh, I, I, I do have. Uh, opportunity with a guy that I interviewed to maybe go watch him compete in the Craftsman Cook Series race live and in person on the pit box. What track? Don't know. Can't expose that yet. Okay. Ben, are you uh, going to any races this year? I am thinking about hopefully doing my third annual Bristol race if Buddy is if Buddy is good. Um, if not, maybe I can hitchhike with Jamie. Uh, uh, oh, you'll have to hear the race with me. Rained out every single time. Huh? You don't have to hit a race with me. I'm hilarious. Oh, uh, uh, yeah? You're going to go to Dover or no? I wish I could. But we yeah. Could. Yeah, I want to try to go to Dover. I definitely want to try to go back to Bristol again for a third year. So, we'll see. Nice. Uh, Ryan? Uh, I'm definitely looking at going to probably two races this year. I just don't know what the two are going to be. I'm thinking Bristol in the fall is probably going to end up being one, but beyond that, I don't really know. Uh, it's kind of hard being, because um, outside of uh, uh, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, every other race is about eight and a half to nine hours away, at least. Watkins Glen's eight and three quarters hours away. Pocono's like nine hours away. Dover's, I think, like eight hours, 45 minutes away as well. So it's just kind of hard yeah. to make a trip like that. And as opposed to some people where it's like, oh, yeah, it's a 45 minute drive down the road. Yep. How about you, Jamie? So, uh, Bristol in the fall is definitely going to happen. Uh, most likely Dover. Uh, and then I'm in talks right now if money works out works out the right way, uh, getting a, being able to go to Darlington for the first time. Nice. Would that be for the fall Darlington race or the spring one? Uh, most likely fall. All right. uh, just because uh, the spring always falls on Mother's Day weekend, which is also my anniversary weekend. So I can't ah, okay. really... 
Yep. Get 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 the clearance from the lady to go see an NASCAR race on anniversary weekend. Priorities, good. Yeah. You got them. <laughs> <laughs> so uh my wife and i we had plans to go to daytona for the 500 but they fell through just because of the price of tickets this year same here um i had plans to and go with and you know we live we live in georgia atlanta's right down the road um i've been to many of spring races at atlanta and it's always a crapshoot with the weather um so I will most likely not be attending Atlanta in the spring. However, we do have plans for the spring Talladega race. And we are thinking about either Charlotte for Memorial Day weekend or Daytona in the summer. And most definitely Atlanta in September for the uh, night playoff race. Right. I would I would like to put a personal recommendation of doing uh, Charlotte the day of the double because Charlotte does a cool thing where their big autotron that hangs over the speedway, they literally yeah. air the Indy 500 on that Megatron. Yeah, yep. I tried that uh, last I've... year. It was kind of soggy. Yeah, I've, I've been Well, you just Charlotte. have bad luck when it, when it comes to those kind of things, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> JB, do you I, want me to, to talk about you tomorrow times. during the race? Shush you. Stop it. Stop it. Don't put that bad juju on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> I, I've been to Charlotte many times. Uh, one year I went when Kurt Busch did the double, and uh, I know what you're talking about. They they broadcasted on the big backstretch screen. Yep. But, well, all right, gentlemen. Um, as always, don't forget, uh, let's thank our sponsors, uh, Fanatics. Uh, you can click the link in our uh, podcast profile to get all of your 2024 NASCAR merch and apparel or any other sport that you need for the 24, 2024 upcoming season. Hmm. Uh, I w could probably Energy. use an update to my uh, jersey. I need to get a new Chase Elliott shirt. Yep. Uh, w, w Energy, use promo code SSPP10 to receive 10% off your order. And uh, Bulletproof Coffee, they do more than just coffee. But with that, guys, um, great episode tonight, and I am seriously looking forward to Sunday and cannot wait to talk about it with you guys next week, uh, next Wednesday. Let's go. Absolutely. I'm so happy about it. Race week is here. Let's go. Yep. NASCAR's One. back. One, two, three. Deuces. Deuces. Deuces.